You know, one of the things that um, really sets the Word of God apart from um, all other religious books in the history of the world is it is utterly honest with its characters. These are real events. And even though Saul was the first king of Israel, Saul was at one point in time a good man. The Bible records for us him losing his ever-loving mind. And it records for us the awful truth that the murder of 85 priests, all the men, women, children, and infants in the town. It, is a, it was a horrific event. The Bible doesn't hide the truth, even when the truth is ugly. This morning, I want us to look at this period of time through the eyes of David. I want you to try to enter into David's life at this moment. I want you to imagine all that's happened since Goliath fell over dead and this day. Everything that could go wrong in David's life has gone wrong. And he's running for his life. But he is literally dealing with the guilt and the remorse that other people are suffering just because of his existence. Saul is an absolute lunatic. He puts together a bunch of innocent priests. It's so wicked, even his own soldiers wouldn't do it. They're, this is one of the times we see Saul's own soldiers, they're like, no, uh-uh. You can kill us is what you can do. Because telling the king no could be a, a, a punishable by death, especially this psychotic king. But every one of the soldiers was like, no, we are not going to kill innocent priests. That's the line for us. Doeg, this evil man that we'll deal with in a little bit, he steps forth and he does it. And it gets news gets to David that the whole town of Nob has just been slaughtered. The, key, the priest, the men, the women, the children, the infants. Just imagine how you would feel. There would be a real sense of guilt and remorse. Like, I just wish I never would have went to that town at all. It's one thing that he hunts my life. It's another thing that hundreds of innocent people are dying because this psychotic king is chasing me down. This is David's life. And so... I just want to say it's obvious David's life is taking a really bad turn for the worse. And David was a man, a real human being. David is not a fictional character in the Bible. King David was a real king of this country of Israel. And David was a man like you and I. What emotions would you be feeling? God said you were going to be king. God sent Samuel to come anoint you at a young age. God gave you favor with Goliath. Seemed like your life was going great. And all of a sudden, it's as if literally all of hell has come against you. The rug's been pulled out from under your feet. You are running for your life. And people in your life and people in your family are suffering simply for being connected to you. This is what David's dealing with. 
When you understand that, it'll also help provide context when you read the book of Psalms. Many of the Psalms were written by David, and many other Psalms were inspired by David or David's story. And when you read in the book of Psalms, a lot of times you're reading statements like, God, where are you at? God, my eyes are filled with tears day and night. My heart almost failed me. And and you're reading this outpouring of a man's heart that is confused like, God, why am I going through all of this? Now, here's the lesson that I want us to learn before I get to my points. All of us at times are going to go through things that are utterly devastating. All of us. Being faithful to God and being a servant of God does not mean that we won't go through devastating and confusing times in our life. David had to surely be confused. Imagine Abraham, when God told Abraham to get up and go to a land and that I'm going to show you, and Abraham's faithful to God, and God shows up to Abraham, he says, I'm going to give you a son. Decades go by, no son. Abraham's like, now, now my wife's too old to even have a child. That's confusing, isn't it? Imagine Joseph. You remember the story of Joseph? God shows up to Joseph, shows Joseph in a dream that Joseph is going to be elevated to a place of power. Instead, he is sold as a slave. And then it gets worse for him. He goes from being a slave to being a prisoner. That had to be confusing. And I'm telling you, folks, there are times as Christians, we deal with some confusing stuff. It's like, God, I've been faithful to you. I've been good to you. I've been doing everything that I think I'm supposed to do. And it feels like my life is still falling apart. And so what I want to, I want to answer the question this morning. What do you do? What do we do when we are facing difficult times? David was literally in the wilderness. And I want want to clarify one thing, and then I'm going to get straight to my points, and I'm going to get through my points fairly quickly this morning. There are two types of wildernesses, and sometimes we're going through both at the same time. But they are different wildernesses. So the first type of wilderness is the type of wilderness called the wilderness of sin, where the people of Israel spent 40 years walking in circles Because they refused to obey God. God had told them what to do. And instead of doing what God told them to do, a bunch of spies come back from the promised land and they're like, no, we can't go there. God's not going to help us. We're going to die. And so they end up just wandering in the wilderness because they refuse to be obedient to God. That's not the type of wilderness I'm dealing with this morning. It is a wilderness, that type of wilderness is a wilderness of suffering that is a result of the consequences of your own sins. And I'm not actually talking about that wilderness this morning. If you are in that wilderness, the only way to get out of it is to repent of your sins. That's the only way to get out. Stop 
disobeying God and start following him. And until you do that, you're going to continue to suffer the consequences of your sin. So, just to be clear, I don't want anybody that's walking around in that wilderness. You're living your life in sin and you're suffering the consequences. I'm not talking to you this morning. What you need to do is repent. But, that wasn't the wilderness David was in. David was a man that was faithful to God. He was a man that was a a man after God's own heart. In other words, David's heart was like God's. He was faithful. He was just doing everything God had told him to do, and yet he's still running for his life. And there are times when we are doing everything right, and we are still going through difficult times. And it is that person that I want to talk to this morning. What do we do when we find ourselves in that wilderness? We have to understand that in the Christian journey, the battlefield is right up here, folks. It's it's, it's a battlefield in the mind. Number one, it's not against people. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood anymore. We it's it's against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. That's that's who are that's who we're at battle with. And number two, the battle takes place, generally speaking, right up here in my mind. Am I gonna believe God or not? Am I gonna be faithful or not? Am I going to allow the things I'm facing to convince me that God must not be good? Or am I going to believe what God says? And so, I want to share with you four very practical, very simple things you must remember when you're going through the wilderness. You have got to focus on these things. You have to force yourself to remember these things if you're going to survive the testing in the wilderness. Number one, you have got to remember what God's declared over your life. When it seems like God is not there, you have got to remember what God has declared over your life. Let's look, I want you to look at what God said over David's life, and then I want to talk about what God says over yours. But we're looking at David's story. You only have to rewind about seven chapters to 1 Samuel 16, and we find when David was anointed, You'll remember that uh, Samuel shows up at David's house. David's daddy's name is Jesse. Samuel shows up to Jesse's house and says, God told me that one of your sons is supposed to be king. Jesse says, wow, okay. Let me bring him in here. He brings in everybody but David because David's the youngest. He doesn't even seem like king material at all. And uh, normally the runt is not the king. Normally it's the oldest. Samuel goes through each one. And God's like, nope, not him, not him, not him, not him, not him, not him. And Samuel looks at Jesse and says, hey, God sent me here and told me one of your sons is supposed to be king. But none of these, God's given me no confirmation on. Is Is there anyone else? And... Jesse says, well, I do. I mean, I've got a youngest son, but he's still, he's not even a man yet. He's just, he's just a boy. That's where we pick up in verse 12. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. 
Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. God had declared over David that David was going to be king. But would you agree with me that what we read in 1 Samuel 22 don't sound like the life of a king at all? Brothers and sisters, when you are going through absolute darkness, when it feels like hell has been unleashed on your home and on your marriage and on your life, you have got to remember what God has declared over your life. And you've got to remember that some things take time to pass. I've said this before, but I'm 100% convinced if God ever showed us the whole line to get from where we start to where we finish, we would have never signed up in the first place. You know, when, when Samuel showed up and anointed David king, he didn't show David that this would be part of the story. He didn't show David that this would be part of the process. And a lot of people are shocked at the process. And then they grow confused and think, well, God, I thought you said, God did say, David, you will be king. There is a call on your life. God just didn't tell you everything that was going to happen from, from start to finish. The same thing's true with, with Abraham, as I've already mentioned. And all that Abraham would go through until the promise came and same thing with Joseph. God didn't tell Joseph you're going to be sold as a slave and you're going to end up in prison. God didn't tell him any of that. All he said was, I've got a call on your life. Now listen, folks. You and I might not be anointed to be the king of Israel. But our God has still made some promises to us. I'm going to argue that he makes some promises to each of us individually, but there are some general promises. You know, in Romans chapter 8, it teaches us that all the sons and daughters of God, here's what God calls us, we're more than conquerors. Man, that's a strong, I love that. He doesn't just say, you are conquerors. He says, you are more than conquerors. I'm telling you, when you are in the place of confusion and darkness, you've got to remind yourself, your God says you are more than a conqueror. You are not weak. You're not going to be defeated. You are not a loser. Your God is the king of all kings. He is the God of all gods. He is the Lord of all lords. And he has declared that you, as a son or a daughter, you are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. You've got to remind yourself that when it feels like darkness is closing in all around you. The Word of God declares He works all things for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. I've got to remind myself that. God has a purpose for everything that you go through. That does not mean God is the causer of everything you go through. He just has a purpose for it. In fact, when, when Joseph eventually is restored to uh, the place of authority and his brothers do eventually bow down to him and now they're all scared because they're the ones that actually sold him into slavery, by the way. And they're like, are you going to kill us? And here's what Joseph says, am I going to kill you? What are you talking about? No. What, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. It's not that God forced you or caused you to sell me into slavery that was your own wicked hearts that did that 
But God is so much wiser than the enemy. And God takes what was meant for evil and he works it together in his divine power and wisdom for our good. I've got to remind myself that when I'm going through the hard times of life and it don't all make sense, I have got to remind myself that somehow, some way, my God is able to use this for my good if I will just believe Him and take Him at His word and, and just live that. But so many, guys, so many of us, we, just, we, get, we get angry, we get frustrated, we think, God, this wasn't part of the deal. Yes, it was part of the deal, by the way. But we think, God, this wasn't part of the deal. And I'm not going to serve you, and I'm not going to be faithful, and I'm not going to embrace my call to be king until you fix everything in my life, and you guarantee there's never going to be heartache, and you guarantee there's never going to be trouble, and you guarantee there's never going to be pain. God said, I never guaranteed that to start with. All I did was tell you I had a call on your life. All I did, David, was anoint you to be king. So you have got to remember what God's declared over your life. Number two. It's very practical, but I'm telling you, in the place of absolute confusion, you have got to remember this. There's an enemy who works to stop God's plan for your life. There is an enemy... Who's working to stop God's plan for your life? What do you expect? You really expect just that, that, that Satan's never going to come against you. The enemy's never going to try to stop you up. It's all just going to be flowers and fun. It's all going to be easy. Are you, are you serious? Have you read the book? There's an enemy. And by the way, when we read Lots of the Bible, but even just this chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 22, the enemy is ruthless. I mean, unhinged, evil, wicked. You have an enemy. So when all of a sudden you're under attack, if you can't remind yourself, wait, there's an enemy that wants to destroy us, and, and it's not people that we fight against. If you can't remind yourself that, and you don't remember that, you're going to throw yourself a big pity party, feel like something's not fair. You know, the reality is that if the enemy's fighting, it's, it's a good indicator that, that, that actually God does have a plan for your life. It's a good indicator. The enemy's doing absolutely nothing. It's an indicator there's not much of a need to, to come at you. I'm going to tell you something. Our enemy is ruthless. And he's real. You need to know that. He's real. It seems strange that I would need to say that in church, but I think I do. It's, he's real. Satan and demons are not some... Uh, metaphor meant to help us process when bad things happen. He's real. And God says of our enemy that he wants to do nothing but steal, kill, and destroy. He's evil. So what in the world are you so upset for when 
all of a sudden the enemy shows up at your door as if you're surprised. You really thought that joining God's side and giving your heart to God and becoming a soldier in the army of God meant that you weren't ever going to be under attack of the enemy? You've got to remind yourself of the truth, folks. And the reality is also, speaking of enemies, there's always going to be somebody that's against you. You know, when we read this story, all of the, the, the soldiers are like, no, uh-uh, I am not participating in that. Saul's giving this ridiculous speech. Saul, when you read the things Saul says, he just sounds so stupid. He said, he said none of you are sorry for me. That sounds like a real kingly thing to say. Are none of you sorry for me? It's just ridiculous. He's literally chasing David, and yet here's what he says. David's lying in wait for me. What? Saul tried to kill David twice in Saul's house by throwing a spear at him. David escapes and runs away. Never does David retaliate. And Saul's like, David's lying in wait for me till this day. He's just nuts. And all of his people know it. All of the soldiers, they're just sitting there silently. And then steps forth, Doeg. I know where David is. Why would you betray David? David never did anything to you, Doeg. Uh, in fact, oh, now you're going to betray the priest. You know Saul's a lunatic. Uh, I heard that he, that, that he went to Nob and that the priest there prayed for him. And then all of a sudden, David's found out. Nob is found out and a bunch of people end up dead. And here's what I want you to see. Doeg's betrayal of David had nothing to do with David. Doeg didn't have a bone to pick with David. Doeg didn't dislike David. But Doeg, he wanted to be on Saul's good side. Even if that meant people had to die because of it. Here's an important lesson for this. Everybody that does you wrong, it's not always about you. Now, you take it personally, but it's not always about you. Some people are just tempted by the enemy, and you end up being collateral damage. Some people are just gripped by fear. It's interesting, the name Doeg comes from a word that means anxiety or fear to be, uh, to be timid, to be trepid. And when it's translated or like put to a human being the name, not the word that the name comes from, but the name Doeg, it literally means one who fears or one who is fearing or fearful. That's what his name means. You'll find that when, when people are fearful, when you're fearful, we make some really bad decisions. But there's always going to be somebody, folks, Always, 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 always. Somebody eventually is going to come in your life that's going to cause you trouble and heartache. And I say this sincerely, but boldly. Get over it, man. Get over it, ma'am. You cannot let people and enemies in your life 
discourage you from living life. You have got to stay focused and you have got to move on. And ultimately, you have got to remember there is an enemy who works to stop God's plan for your life. Number three, the third thing you've got to remember, that place of absolute confusion, pain, sorrow, you have to remember Goliath's sword. There's this interesting verse tucked in this uh, account. We read it in verse 10. I want to read it again. Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him. He also gave him provisions and the sword of Goliath the Philistine. It's such an interesting passage that God wanted us to have there in the middle of this story. David didn't need a sword. David had swords. His men had swords. Swords were not hard to come by. But as David's running for his life, as everything seems to be really confusing, the priest of all people, under the wisdom of God, takes the sword of Goliath and puts it in the hands of David. And there David is looking at this symbol of one of the greatest victories of his life. And what I want you to know, folks, is there are times when you are going through things that feel like it seems impossible. You must remember the times in your life. You've got to remember what is your Goliath's sword. Remember the times in your life when God did show up, when God was there, when God saved your soul, when God changed your life, when God was faithful to you, when God did something in your life that only God can do. And you've got to remind yourself, He's the same God that He's always been. We sang earlier a song, and I can't remember the exact lyrics, but basically that um, He loved me in my sin. What could separate, you know, what could separate me from him now? And here's the point. If God could save me and would pursue me and would love me and would literally change my life when I was a sinner, when I was an enemy of his, why in the world would I think that he can't deliver me from whatever I'm facing now? I mean, if he could deliver me out of that mess, there is nothing that he cannot deliver me from now. And brothers and sisters, when we are going through some really difficult times, we have got to remember the, the, the things that God delivered us from before. I almost ran on this tangent in the first service and I chose not to. I think I'm going to here. You know, a lot of people don't ever make it very far in their faith because they just quit too soon. But the same's true about so much else in this era of time. People are just a bunch of quitters. They just quit when things get hard. And I'm going to use an example, and the only reason I'm going to use it is because I know it resonates with a lot of folks. First of all, my wife and I have an amazing marriage. It's awesome. It's because she's awesome. And um, 
it's really been a long time since we've been through rocky, hard times. But we've been through them. We've been through them. And one of the things that's helped over the years, they just, nothing ever becomes as big as it used to. But the reason is because we've been through that. And so when it starts to feel big, I just remember what God brought us through before. This ain't the first time we've done this. And every time God shows up and God eventually gets us through this and God gets our hearts right and God gets our minds back in line and we start to feel like we're functioning in unity. But listen, folks, it hasn't always been that way. And learning to look at the victories of past when I'm going through the trials of today It helps us just to keep pushing forward and remember, hey, God has delivered me from greater things before. And I'm going to get it through. And what I've found, and I point to that scenario in my life, because at least for us, and everybody's lives are different, but at least for us, that happens to be one area that's just not a big deal anymore. I mean, when you've gone through two or three big deals the first decade of your marriage, all of a sudden you just start to be reminded God always brings us through this. That's what God does. He's awesome at it. And now when I start to see maybe something looming on the horizon, I'm just reminded God always sees us through. For those of you that have actually made it into your second decade, third decade of marriage, you know that generally speaking, what I'm saying is true. Now what I want to say is, this principle has application to all the spiritual battles that we face. Every single one of them. And you know what the enemy wants you to do when your life feels like everything's going wrong? He just wants you to focus on all that's going wrong. There's a reason that somehow, way, in the midst of all, God got David to a place, literally the place on planet earth, where it just so happened to be Goliath's sword was being housed. And just before everybody there dies... God makes sure that that sword gets into the hands of David so that he can look at it and be reminded, I don't understand why I'm going through what I'm going through right now, but I see what God has delivered me from before, and if God could deliver me from this, He's going to deliver me from whatever I'm facing now. So I ask you the question this morning, what is Goliath's sword in your life? It's there to remind you of a few things. Number one, there is not an enemy that you or I face that God cannot defeat. There is not an enemy you will ever face that God cannot defeat. It reminds us you've won the battle before and you can win the battle again. It also reminds us that when we battle, we don't battle alone, folks. And I start thinking about that. If God is battling, well, if God's for us, who could be against us? Some of you, it is time to pull out your Goliath's sword this morning and begin to remember once again what God's delivered you from. The final thing that you've got to remember, you have to remember that God's ways are higher than your ways. You have to remember that. First, I want you to see the passage. I want you to know God's word actually declares this truth. And then let's talk about it. In Isaiah 55 Verses 8 and 9, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. 
as the heavens are higher than the earth. Let's just think about that. As the heavens are higher than the earth. Do you know we can't actually measure that? So far, we have never been able to find the ceiling. We measure what we can see in light years. But we've never found the ceiling. We've never found the height of heaven. So whatever that is, we don't actually know. But here's what God says concerning His wisdom and yours. The difference between earth and the height of the heavens, that's the difference between His wisdom and your wisdom. That's the difference between His thoughts and your thoughts. That's the difference between His ways and your ways. God has a purpose for every trial that you face. You know, out of this great trial in David's life came a closeness to God that he would have never known otherwise. The Psalms that were written, literally billions of people have been encouraged by the Psalms. But I'm going to guarantee you something. When David's hearing this news and David's going through the darkest time in his life, David wasn't thinking to himself, boy, one of these days, billions of people are going to be really encouraged by this. Right? Because God's ways are higher than our ways. We don't know what God's doing. We look at Abraham's story. And here's what we know. Because we know the story. We know that God's teaching the man patience. We know that God's teaching the man faith. Abraham doesn't know that. Abraham's going through it. He's like, all right, God, I'm going to do what you say. You want me to go? I'm going to go. I'm brave. You're not even going to tell me where. You just said get going and you'll show me once I eventually get there. Okay, let's go. Then he goes a little ways and walks straight into the face of a king that he's afraid is going to kill him. And Abraham gets scared. And Abraham's like, uh, she's not really my wife. That's my sister. See the resemblance? Yeah, you know the story. And the king's like, well, okay, if that's your sister, I'll take her. Abraham gives up his own wife. God protects her. God ultimately brings like sickness to the king's, king's house and to his household. And the king finds out what's going on. The king comes to Abraham and like, why'd you tell me this was your sister? Abraham's like, well, I thought, I thought you were going to kill me. And so the king boots him out, sends him down on the way. God's teaching him something. God's teaching him, Abraham, I told you I was going to do something in your life. And that thing hadn't happened yet, son. And therefore, you just got to trust me. You can't die. Guess what? Abraham does it again. Two times. A little bit later, Abraham does the same stinking thing, man. Any of you ever fall to the same stinking sin a couple, two or three times, four, five, six, seven times? Mm-hmm. Now, when David's going through it, David's thinking to himself, what's going on? Decades, God, I've been waiting on you to do what you said you were going to do, and decades have gone by. Maybe I didn't hear him at all, right? Maybe I was wrong back then. We know the story, and we know that Abraham eventually comes to this place of great faith, such great faith, he's even willing to sacrifice his own son if that's what God calls him to do. And God intervenes as like, Abraham, you've, you've finally come to see and I've come to see you trust me with all your heart. It was all part of the process. Same thing with Joseph. 
Joseph's going through all this stuff, and you and I know the story. God's actually using it to position him and move him to where he needs to be. Joseph doesn't know that. God's ways are higher than your ways. Your trial is bigger than you. You might not see it now, but trust God has a purpose for it all. God might not be the causer of it all, but he certainly has a purpose for it all. The last thing I want to say this morning is when you think about these stories, and we could, you know, we, I, there, I could go throughout all of the Word of God, and there's multitudes of other characters that have dealt with the same thing. But listen to this statement. The persecution that David's going through was preparation. It was not abandonment. There are people here this morning, probably, that at times you felt abandoned. You bought the lie of the devil. It was not abandonment. It was preparation. I'm going to tell you something. Being a, a, a true warrior in God's kingdom, it's not for the faint of heart. It's not for people who are pushed over easily. It's not for people who quit easily. And you better believe it. If God has a call on your life, he's going to test you to see if you're an easily quitter. And if you have been a quitter, the lesson this morning is God's plan for your life is not over, but you've got to understand you were not abandoned. It was preparation. God was preparing David for the throne. God was preparing David to have a humble heart so that he wouldn't end up like Saul did. You want to know David, David passed the test, folks. Later on in David's life, so Saul finds out the kingdom's going to be taken and he becomes a lunatic and tries to kill David, right? When you, when you read David's life, you, you know what happens? Later on in David's life, one of his sons turns against him. And his son is super cunning. And his son gets a big portion of Israel to come to his side. And his son literally comes to take the kingdom from his father. And here's the truth. You study the word of God, you know this is the truth. David was a warrior and all the mighty men were on David's side. David could have obliterated his son. David walks. David, D David says basically these words. It's, it's, it's amazing, but basically here's what David says. I didn't do anything to get this kingdom, and I'm not going to do anything to set, keep it. God's the one that put me here, and if God's the one that wants me here, then he's the one that can do it. And David just walks and gives up the kingdom for a period of time. He had learned the lesson. What he was going through was preparation. It was not abandonment. There's another spiritual lesson here, and I'll ask our worship team if you guys would get in place, about preparation. Jesus did something very similar. In Matthew chapter, uh, excuse me, in the book of Matthew, we have this... Uh, this um, line of how Jesus' ministry started. And I want you to follow me. It's very important to understand what I'm about to tell you. Because trust me, if it happened with Jesus, 
It's going to happen with you and I. In John chapter 3, Jesus is baptized. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit ascended upon him like in the form of a dove. And at that moment is when Jesus would begin his ministry. And it tells us this. This happens at the end of chapter 3. So Jesus hasn't healed anybody yet. He hasn't did any miracles. He hasn't did any great teaching. Nobody really knows that he's the son of God other than he shows up to John's baptism. John points him out and says that right there is the Lamb of God. So that's the first thing that's been said about Jesus. We're talking at the very beginning of his ministry. Jesus is baptized, comes up out of the water. Spirit comes down upon him as a dove. And then the Bible says this. And the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Before there was ever any ministry to the people. The first thing Jesus does is endure 40 days in the wilderness. Where he fasts. And at the end of that fast, the devil comes and tempts him. There's a great lesson here. Before any of us are ever in any position to lead others. Before any of us are ever in a position to rule over others. We must first show that we can rule our own hearts. Before I can ever lead you victory over the devil, I first have to be able to lead my own self in victory. So many in that place of battle, they grow confused, they grow weary, and they just give up. I plead with you this morning, child of God, do not give up in your battle. I plead with you to know that as long as you've got a heart that is beating and lungs that are breathing, it's never too late to pick back up God's plan and God's will for your life. I plead with you this morning, if you're going through the absolute trial of a lifetime, you have got to remember that God's ways are higher than your ways. You have got to remember the times in your life where God has been there for you and he has seen you through. You've got to remember there's an enemy. There is an enemy who wants to destroy you. And you have got to remember what has God declared over your life.